Hello, welcome back to the Theology Podcast. That's assuming that you've been with us before. Of course you have. We're, we're like your, you know, highlight of the week, right? <laughs> First part of the week. Well, the, the, the band is back together again. We've been apart for a couple of weeks. We uh, had a huge uh, day with uh, our friend Ken Boa, who was in town to uh, help Glenn uh, with a particular event that occurred in his life and allow us to just say welcome reverend professor dr glenn sunshine thank you very much <laughs> another another moniker another uh you know uh term or, or you, you know, the, you know it, it, the weird thing about this is growing up in the 60s and 70s i really don't give a rip about titles but i seem to keep accumulating <laughs> yeah you them. get them and then all sorts of now, letters if you landed in germany name. you would even have yeah you, now the red carpet would yes. be yeah hair reverend <laughs> professor dr <laughs> sunshine yes no. anyway yeah they, they still know how to you know give proper due and respect to where it, where it belongs anyway uh, we're, we're glad to have you with us today, and we've got a fun episode today. I don't want to steal Glenn's thunder. It's Glenn's day, but uh, let's just introduce ourselves just in case there's like one human being left in the world who doesn't know who we are. How about you, Tom? Tom Price. Uh, I teach systematic theology, Christian ethics, and currently teaching both at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And I am C.R. Wiley, the senior pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Manchester in Manchester, Connecticut. And I've written a bunch of stuff. And now, Reverend Dr. Glenn Sudgeon. Hair, Reverend Dr. Professor. <laughs> yeah, whatever the order is. Yeah, I'm, I'm Glenn Sunshine. I'm a professor of history at Central Connecticut State University and a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. Now, we took a couple of pictures, Glenn, of you holding up some things that you were excited to... to it was like show and tell. Yep. So, uh, you know, if you want to see those photographs, folks, go to our Facebook page and we'll have those posted for you. But uh, today, what are we talking about, Glenn? What are you excited about? I, I am really seriously into plague. <laughs> oh, mm. um, that's right. Bring out your dead. Very Bring out your dead. It's timely. <laughs> you know, I... I am probably best known on campus for my plague lectures. Yeah, how about that? And um, I've done entire courses on plague. I've done all kinds of things. Now, is there some really... kind of sublimation going on here? You teach at a secular school. Are you, like, break, calling down the plague on the school? No, not really. I think it comes from my grandfather having me read Edgar Allan Poe when I was eight. Oh, that'll do it to you. That'll yeah. do it to you. I, I, I think that's a lot to macabre. do with it. Yes. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I th with the coronavirus going along, uh, pandemics seem to be in the news, and I thought I would go back to some earlier ones. Yeah, it's not today. our first rodeo. Nope, nope. So uh, what we're going to be looking at is a specific disease. It's called plague. Now, we can use the word plague in a lot of different ways. It can be used generally for the plagues of Egypt, any epidemic disease, uh, having too many cats around. There are any number of things. <laughs> there are any number of things that could be described as plagues. Um, but, the cat thing that that, that just gives me. <laughs> but um, for, for when I use the word, I'm using it in its medical sense. It's a specific disease caused by a bacterium, a bacillus, uh, known to its friends as Yersinia pestis. Hmm. But to to their friends. Yes, yes. And as a matter of fact, one of the pictures you will see, I, I, people you get tend, a little fuzzy. Yeah, people <laughs> people tend to give me plague themed gifts. So one Christmas, my brother in law gave me a uh, 
a uh, stuffed Yersinia pestis plush toy. Um, from, it's like the Cthulhu plush toy. <laughs> yes, know, like. yeah, but, but this comes from GiantMicrobes.com, a Connecticut company. So, um, so in any It's got to be a New Haven. Yeah, it probably is. But um, just, just a quick note on plague. The best known... Uh, plague can infect you three different ways. The best known of these is bubonic plague, which is transmitted by flea bites, uh, fleas typically coming from rats. Um, The second form is pneumonic plague. That's where it gets into the lungs. Um, And the third form is septicemic plague, where it it just is multiplying uncontrollably in the bloodstream. Um, The differences between them, there are are a number of them. Uh, Let's just go with mortality rates. Bubonic plague kills about 65% of the people who get it in the absence of tetracycline. You know, the antibiotics, we can take care of it. Yeah. Although they have found one antibiotic-resistant strain in, I think it was Madagascar. Wow, my kids were just there, my son and my daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they didn't get the plague. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the second form, form, pneumonic, is 95% fatal. Wow. And it has the uh, charming feature of being able to go airborne. You no longer need, sl- need fleas. It can go directly person-to-person through the air like a cold. Yeah. Uh, septicemic plague can emerge from bubonic or if you handle contaminated material with a cut on your hand or something like that, you can get enough of the bacteria in your bloodstream for it to go septic. Septicemic plague, although this isn't always true, in some cases the first symptom of septicemic plague is death. Wow, so you just like walk down the street and boom, you're gone. Yeah, that, sometimes that is actually the case. Now, it's not usually, but... Yeah. So th- this is a, you know, this is a really serious disease. It can, yeah. uh, you know, it's not something that, fortunately, like I said, it, it's relatively easy to treat with antibiotics. I actually know somebody who got plague in China, for oh, example. Wow, that, this seems to be the place to get... Well, well and interestingly, this stuffed black death giant microbe was made in China. <laughs> anyway, we'll just leave it at that. Well, a- a- actually, um, the, the main outbreak of plague we're going to talk about started in Central Asia, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But it's worth noting that that wasn't the only time plague shows up in history. So, so it came out of the Muslim world? Uh, it came out of Central Asia, Mongolia, which was Mongolia. not which was okay, not so Muslim at that time. Right, hmm. right. Um, they didn't convert to Islam until a little later. But um, it's really the Silk Road is the key thing there. Got but it. we'll get to that Got in a minute. It. But um, earlier we see plague mentioned in First Samuel five in the Bible, right? Where the Philistines have captured the Ark of the Covenant, and God strikes them with a disease that is described as be, as having quote tumors in the groin, if you take uh, the mm-hmm. King James translation. Mm-hmm. And when they want to atone for this, they send golden models of these tumors with mice to or rats, mm-hmm. symbols, effigies of rats, to, with the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Yeah. So this disease is associated with the rats, and it produces, well, they call them tumors, but growths, almost certainly buboes um, for bubonic plague, mm-hmm. that uh, are black necrotic swellings that could be easily called a tumor mm-hmm. that show up in major nodal points in your lymphatic system, usually armpit or groin or neck. Okay. So the fact that they're talking about this, all of this really strongly indicates that God probably struck them with, with plague. So just to give a little bit of background, of course, this is when the Ark is lost. And, you know, yeah, the, the Ark had been captured by yeah, the Philistines. Right. Mm. Uh, there's a, so, so you get yeah. the Ark and you get plague. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's one thing that they missed, Raiders. But, <laughs> um, but the, the other one, uh, the other big one before this, there, there's, a pla- there's a so-called plague of Athens, but it's almost certainly not plague as a disease. It was something else. But the plague of Justinian in the 6th century is another example of a pretty close to pandemic plague. It wipes out a good part of Constantinople. It ends Justinian's attempts really to rebuild the Roman Empire. And it spreads across Europe, even killing most of the second generation of great Irish saints. Hmm. Now, let's let's stop and think about that. So here we have two episodes of plague Mm -hmm. where you could, well, in the first case, we have the Bible, the authoritative interpretation that this Mm -hmm. is judgment. Right. Now we have a situation where we have, you know, Justinian, the... uh, um, Byzantine Emperor. Yeah, the Byzantine Emperor. What was his, What was the, the the name that he was given? Because wasn't he wasn't he the apostate emperor? No, that was Julian the apostate. Julian, that's okay. no Justinian. Justinian was generally on the side of the angels. Okay, good. Yeah, okay. He. Um, yeah. Why don't I? Why don't I get a coin at this time? Mm-hmm. He. Um, yeah, he built Hagia Sophia, built a lot of churches, right, things right. like that. He was, like I so, said, gen- so generally speaking, a lot pretty of good, good people emperor. die in this time. Right. And like I said, you know, the, mm. the, the Irish church was really, um, in, it, it, it's a, an incredible thing. It would actually be worth an episode by itself. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of the saints in the early 6th century, they all die within a few years of each other because they contract plague. Mm-hmm. So it spreads that far. Now, the big one is, of course, the one that comes in the 14th century, the, this, which this we call the, the Black Death. Yeah, you got the you got the map. So okay. this is another. We have a picture of Glenn smiling with the map <laughs> of the Black Death. Yeah, that that was a Christmas present from my son, who knows me so well. Um, now I, you know what to get Glenn for Christmas. Yes, plague themed gifts. It, 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 it's happening. Um, but um, in this case, plague actually originated in. Mongolia or somewhere in Central Asia along the Silk Road. Now, we associate plague with rats, but it turns out that anytime you have a large rodent population, you can, you know, plague tends to break out. It's not spontaneous generation, but sooner or later it tends to show up. <laughs> and it, all through Central Asia, there are warrens for things called Siberian marmots. Hmm. And the Siberian marmot is a known plague nexus to this day. As a matter of fact, it's illegal to eat marmot in Mongolia. Hmm although people still do it. Just last summer, we had a couple of people who somehow thought that marmot tartare was a, um, a superfood or something. And uh, they, uh, there were a couple of Americans that were in Mongolia. They ate marmot tartare and died of plague. Wow. Hmm. wow. I mean, it happens. We get plague out west through prairie dogs. Okay. There are actually trails in New Mexico, I'm told, that are completely shut down hmm. because there are so many fleas from the prairie dogs that oh. are, and other rodents that live in the area that if you go on those trails, you're very likely to contract plague. Wow. I had you know, no, so, no idea. So, you know, anytime I, you I got thought a, New Mexico is a great place to visit. I mean, you know, it's... Just, just avoid those trails. <laughs> Stay off the trails. Um, I went through Albuquerque one time and saw the balloon festival. <laughs> cool. Um, so, um, actually, when I, when I was in Mongolia, uh, we actually almost got invited to a marmot feast, which was illegal, but it was being done by the local town. In honor and, of you. In honor of us. Um, and and uh, oh, I was... You like the play. I, I, I didn't know that I was so into this, did you? I, 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 uh, I wasn't sure what I thought of this, but we missed our chance. So, I mean, it, just, it didn't happen. But, but in any event... Were they cut, deeply offended when you refused to eat? Well, no, it isn't that I refused to eat. We had got sidetracked and didn't end didn't up in that particular up. town, mm. which is up. where the guy really likes barbecued marmot. <laughs> um, but, but in any event, plague 
starts in Central Asia, travels along the Silk Road, uh, without going into all the, the details of the history, um, the Mongols besiege a, a city that the Genoese merchants are in, trading in at the very end of the Silk Road in the Crimean Peninsula, a town called Kaffa. Uh, plague breaks out in the Mongol camp. The Venetians say, or the Genoese say, see, God's on our side, he's fighting for us. Then the Mongols catapult dead bodies into the city and uh, plague breaks an out there. And yeah. they say, uh, maybe we didn't get this one right. So, so this idea of sort of like uh, militarizing you know, Biological you know, warfare. It, it goes way back it in go, the east. It, it goes way back. <laughs> so in any event, the Genoese <laughs> sail from across the Black Sea, through the Bosporus, through the Sea of Marmara, through the Dardanelles, through the Aegean, maybe bouncing off Crete, across the Mediterranean, and land in Sicily. And when they land in Sicily, they're dying. Yeah. Now, how they made it that far without all of them dying, I don't know. Yeah. But but they're distributing you know, this, their gifts among men the, as they went. This um, the, you know, and word spreads really quickly that the Genoese have brought a horrible disease with them. Don't let their ships land. If this okay. goes across uh, across it, uh, the the Straits of Messina through Italy, southern France, all that. So there's a there's a kind of just sort of intuitive sense, of kind of like a common sense, you know, sort of you know idea that hey, you get near. Disease people, you could get a disease. Yeah, they, they understand contagion. Right. Although, keep that in mind, because that's going to be an issue in the Muslim right. world. Right. But um, there are some interesting things that happen in Sicily. They try to get the relics of St. Agatha to ward off the plague, and the town won't let them have it because they're afraid they're trying to steal their saint. All kinds of things like that. Um, well, well, actually, in the Middle Ages, there was a, a recognized practice. Thank you. Oh, there we go. Of faking plague? Well, no, there was a recognized practice of trying to steal relics. That's right. It, it was called furta sacra, yeah. loosely uh, sacred theft. Yeah. Um, and the idea was that the it's saint... like stealing someone's Bible. The, the saint could keep track of what was going on with its relics, and or his or her relics, and would protect them. So if you actually manage to steal them and relocate them, that's an obvious sign that the saint wants to be with you rather than uh, at the yeah. old site. Because it wouldn't have happened if the saint didn't right. bless it. Right? So, so this, they, they thought this was furta sacra, but it, it really wasn't. <laughs> and I'm it, not sure St. Agatha would have helped. And, be, and before the <laughs> Protestant world gets uh, judgmental, um, this happened actually with B.B. Warfield's... Um, wow. A part yeah, that's of, part of Warfield up in uh, New England, buried under the pulpit... Yeah. And people came, and I don't know if it was Finger or something, they took out because no, they... No, that wasn't B.B. Warfield. That was George Whitfield. Whitfield, sorry. George yes, Whitfield. sorry. George Whitfield. They took his thumb and brought it to That's England it. because they said he Whitfield. should be buried in England. That's right. That's who I meant. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. now did, they, did they think that it would be like a, like a relic? Well, no, they just thought that Whitfield was English, so he should be born, buried in England. Yeah. So at least part of them would be about there. Thumbs in England that they would. <laughs> that's what they were able to get. That's what they were able to... Um, but yeah, but that's right. But they do have it buried in the skull, right under the pulpit, the same way that you typically see um, in Europe in the cathedrals. Right. And uh, yeah, it's quite a fascinating story. But there was there's a few other elements, other parts. You know, were that, taken that particular as well. that particular church, if I if I yeah. know the one you're talking about, is sort of like a series of contradictions. Not only is there that this sort of you know yeah. you know the relics of the saint, and the, in this case it's Whitfield, but the church I think is wacko liberal now. It's and, it's moving in that direction. Oh, okay. It's moving in that direction definitely. And but you you kind of I think within the congregation have a, a, a split. But interestingly, the person who... So they haven't gone... They're not flying the, the no, rainbow flag I mean, yet? I th no, they, they have not... Go I mean, what, what you would call it is probably that kind of um, 
still keeps an evangelical identity, but definitely on the egalitarian, high egalitarian yeah, side. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, with uh, you know Edwards, we do yeah. have the rainbow flags in front of his churches. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. back yeah. to the plague. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> back, back anyway, to, back to happy thoughts. When, when, so October thirteen forty seven, they land in Sicily. In spring thirteen forty eight, they leave, and all the ports are shut to them except they. Well, I don't think Genoa was. They couldn't very well turn away their own ships. And some of them actually bypassed Genoa and got as far as Marseille, and then they lied about where they were from. Mm -hmm. So the ships landed, and then from that point in spring of 1348, plague did its uh, grand tour of Europe. Hmm. It went roughly counterclockwise around Europe, getting back to Russia in about 1351. So is this, is this what this shows on that, the map? That map shows you the dates in which plague spread to different areas. See, it starts here, and then yep. it goes around Europe that way. Right, right. Gotcha. And did it ever get roughly to clock, Finland? Roughly, is, yeah, I don't know if it got to this Finland. Is a, this is a concern of Tom. Yep. Now, the other thing <laughs> is that when I visited Edinburgh... The, you do the tour, they actually show you the sections that were actually where the people were quarantined. Mm-hmm. Okay. And where they, the, the, the city limit is still marked where the people who had, so it's similar, it's going on in China right now. Actually, mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a high school teacher who was over there teaching English as a second language, well, first language, second language there, but uh, training um, there. And he's taking pictures of the streets from his window, ghost towns. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this is similar. I mean, they knew then you you need to to, to cut well, certain well, things. And then this moves quick. I mean, we're we're talking about what four a, or five years in a three-year period from 1348. If you ignore Sicily, okay. in a three-year period from 1348 to 1351, it killed about half of Europe. Wow, that's our wow. best current numbers. A little less than half. Mm. Our best numbers actually come from England, and if England is typical, the mortality rate was something like 48%. Wow. Um, and by the way, I think I said counterclockwise. It went clockwise around Europe. Right. So right. west, north, and then east. They even get to wow. Iceland in 1402. Yeah, that's the, that's the, the holdout. Now, the, the trick here is that you know, it kills that many people, and usually you're going to get a, a quick bounce back in population when you have mortality like that. But the problem is it kept coming back. Mm. And you don't get anything like the, the major outbreak, but you do get these recurring outbreaks that will keep the population suppressed for a full century. Wow. It'll only start rising again in 1450. And, and the, the core vehicle trails of this were trade? Not exactly. Okay. It act, it, now, th- this gets interesting because a lot yeah. of historians really questioned yeah. whether or not what we're looking at here was plague, but that's been solved. It uh-huh. is. Yeah. Uh, we know that because they, we've uncovered plague pits and they found plague in the, the pulp of the tooth. They found plague DNA, okay. Yersinia pestis DNA. So we know it was plague. Uh, the question is, why did it spread so fast and why was it so virulent? There are two parts to the answer. One of them occurred 30 years before when there was a massive famine that went across all of Europe. Hmm. Climate was getting colder and wetter. This was called a year without a summer. It was just raining. The crops wouldn't this is ripen. What the and left things wants like that. us to have again. <laughs> and and the thing about that, the thing about that particular, the play, uh, cold is good according it, to those people. A, a lot of people ended up. Those who survived. There was a lot of there, there are accounts even of cannibalism and things like that as people were trying to be stay alive. That was how bad it went. The people who survived, though, the children who survived. If you are malnourished as a child, it wrecks your immune system for life. Right. So when plague arrives 30 years later, these are people who are already in ill health, frequently have respiratory infections, and it turns out that plague did not spread. We know from plague pits that we've studied, it 
didn't spread primarily bubonically. It went pneumonically. Hmm. Because when you're exposed to the, the plague bacillus is in your system, when you've got a respiratory infection, it can go pneumonic very easily. So in other words, it's, it begins in, as one form and then in a person it can become the other. It can, it can move into pneumonic. And then once it's, it, you know, if you've got a respiratory infection, it's likely to hit pneumonic even before you get the buboes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then okay. once that happens, it goes airborne. It is also much more lethal, 95%. So that accounts for the rapid spread of the disease and the number of people Hmm. uh, it kills. It's lethality. Now, now, with that kind of, you know, with that kind of mortality rate, have have people thought a little, have thought at all about why some people didn't get it? There are some theories about that. Um, Some of it is just simply the fact I suspect that not everybody gets a disease in an epidemic. Mm Uh, but there's some speculation that there may be a variant on one of the genes that if you've got it, it renders you um, less susceptible to plague. Mm-hmm. And if you do get plague, it exists in a, it, it is likely right. to be less serious. Yeah. And if you get two of those, you may be immune. Okay. That's a speculation. We sure, don't know for sure, sure but, there, but there's some indication that that may be the case. Because, you know, with that, with those numbers, I mean, it's like everybody knows people who are dying. Everybody's yeah. having contact with people who are dying. Yeah. yeah. And, and on top of that, you know, you've got to, you, there are all kinds of practical issues you've got to deal with. What do you do with all the bodies? Right. Um, mm-hmm. As Christians, you do not burn your dead. Yeah. You bury your dead in token of the resurrection. Right. Burning the dead would have been something pagans would do, but not Christians. And further, you wouldn't have enough wood. Hmm. It actually mm. takes a lot to burn a body. Yeah, right. So, right, so right. what do you do with this? There's a lot of water in a body. Yeah. yeah. Well, my favorite quote from historic literature comes from a guy by the name of Marciano di Capo Stefani. Hmm. He wrote a chronicle of Florence, and he lived through plague. And he answers the question of what you do with the bodies, at least in Florence. <laughs> and this is what he says. At every church, or at most of them, they dug deep trenches down to the water line, wide and deep, depending on how large the parish was. Down to the water line? Yeah. No. Yes. And those who were responsible (laughs) for the dead carried them on. Well, it gets better. (laughs) And those who were responsible for the dead carried them on their backs in the night in which they died and threw them into the ditch. Or else they paid a high price to those who would do it for them. The next morning, if there were many bodies in the trench, they covered them over with dirt. And then more bodies were put on top of them with a little more dirt over those. They put layer on layer, just like one puts layers of cheese in a lasagna. <laughs> There's a thought. My favorite. But down to the waterline. Down to the waterline, yeah. Yeah, this is when, obviously, people don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they don't understand how the disease spreads. Hmm. And the, the bigger question, I mean, we, we can go, the socioeconomic impact of this, one of the things they're talking about with the coronavirus is yeah. the economic impact. The, the, the socioeconomic impact of this is vast. I mean, there are, right. there are all kinds of things we can talk about here. But by the way, we should probably explain why going down to the water line is a bad idea. It's because that's where you get your water. Right. That's yeah. where you get your drinking right. water. And if, in, if you actually ingest yeah. enough of the plague bacillus, you can go septic right away. Yeah. You know, so, it, yeah. It, so they're causing the spread. It potentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, oh, by the way, another thing, quick thing I want to mention, this is not confined to Europe. We know it hit China. We know it hit India. We know it went through the Middle East. It might have gotten into sub-Saharan Africa. This is a pandemic. We're, you know, we talk about Europe in connection with plague largely because we have the best records are in Europe 
that have been studied. Mm -hmm. There are records in China that we think could reveal a lot about what happened in China, but nobody studied them yet. Yeah. Europe, Europe had the most, the best, the most coherent records mm. where you're able to do statistical analyses See, and things is, like this that. Is, this is how I explain why Europe is, is always sort of, you know, I, you know, fingered as the bad guy. We got the best records. <laughs> <laughs> we kept track of everything we did. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> okay. Now you go to Native Americans, you know, they were, you know, Native Americans were, they, they had slaves, they... Uh, you know, they had genocidal they had wars, genocidal they had war, but they didn't have any records. Right, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So, but but the you know, so we like I said, we could deal with socioeconomic impact. The more for a theology podcast, what we need to really think yeah, about right. is how they understood it, what mm. they thought was going on. Mm. Now, most famously, well, in an era like this, you can imagine everybody, a lot of people, thought that this must be divine judgment. Sure. I mean, when you read the book of Revelation, it talks about, you know, uh, things like a quarter of the Earth's population are killed. Right. Plague's doing this one better. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. This, this is actually doubling the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you find people who are, you know, who are arguing that this is divine judgment for sin. My favorite example of this is a particular monk who argued that the reason why God was mad at us, you, you know, he's obviously sending judgment. The reason was because of what... In modern-day parlance, we'd call tournament groupies. <laughs> These are women who traveled around from tournament to tournament and did nothing but watch the nights and things like that. And they would, um, they would, e they would either God would bring plague for that. They for would, sure. they would dress like knights, or they would oh, wear. That. Or, no, that'll that'll do. or, or they would wear dresses that were so tight that they had to put a foxtail down the back. Uh -huh. um, yeah, you know, th 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 this Freud would have a field day with this guy. Um, this is the so kind this, of, this isn't a new problem I'm hearing. Yeah, that's, th that's th right. yeah. This is the kind of thing that only a celibate monk locked away in a monastery would, would say. So Jerry Falwell was an original when he started to come up with this kind of... No, no, we've had but, problems for a while. Uh, the, the other group, of course, are the flagellants. These guys who went around whipping themselves to show God how sorry they were for whatever sins it was that they'd committed. Um, there's a lot of things we can talk about, you know, in terms of details with the flagellants. Interesting thing, the Pope initially supported them, but pretty soon he, t he said, no, that's not right. You see, this is the thing I think folks don't get sometimes. Oftentimes, the hierarchy of the church was trying to suppress sort of lay theologies, folk theologies sort of that, were, that are like emerging from the mm -hmm. ground up. Right. And we, we assume often that this is something that's coming from the top down. That's yeah. right. Well, it turns out that the flagellants were almost inevitably led by lay people. Mm -hmm. it, was yeah. a, it was a charismatic, in the non-technical sense of the word, lay person who would preach and, and rouse up the rabble and get them to follow him and, and so on. Now, the Pope initially said, you know, it couldn't hurt. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, repentance is a good thing. Yeah, but, but <laughs> actually, interestingly enough, the Pope and secular authorities both quashed the, the flagellant movement pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because the clergy were dying actually in greater numbers than the populace. Interesting. Hmm. Because enough of the clergy took their responsibilities seriously that they went to minister to the dying. Gotcha. That's right. And... The noblemen were dying just like everybody else too. So here's the question. If plague is really caused by the wrath of God and the nobles and the clergy are dying too, what does God think of them? Mm -hmm. Sure. And as soon as you start asking that kind of question, you're one small step away from rebellion. Right. And nobody would tolerate that. 
So they, they put the kibosh on the flagellants pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But so the, the, so the flagellants, am I, am I hearing you correctly, were kind of a response to plague? Yes. Okay. There are a few instances of things like the flagellants in Italy before plague, but mm-hmm. it's overwhelmingly in response to plague. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly centered in Germany, some in France, a little bit in northern Italy. They did try England. Um, they the crossed the bush. Common sense. You know, they, 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 they crossed the channel and, mm-hmm. and started doing this in England, and the English reaction was something like, oh, well, that's interesting. And they, <laughs> then that was it. Um, so it didn't really take off in England. But if, if, it, if plague isn't the wrath of God, if God isn't mad at us, that's not what plague is, what is it? And, but so, just uh, before you go there, d- just the, the notion, the psychology of it, of course, would have made a lot of sense. For a lot of reasons. I mean, like you said, there was biblical precedence, right? Mm-hmm. People nourished on the Bible would have understood, especially the Old Testament, that, yep. um, you know, divine judgment and, uh, you know, you look at the different plagues or you look at the different kinds of things that happened, say, in, in the, you know, the Exodus events prior yep. to them. And it was an era in which apocalypticism was really big. big. Right. And if you're thinking of the, the um, some kind of impending coming of Christ to judge the living and the dead, then these things would be seen as forecasts. Like, yeah, or portents of something that's, right. that's actually and, positive. That and you see that. I mean, I see it every time. We have the locusts now spreading up to China that and, you see. And, and this, yeah. and I'm getting feeds from people all over. It's the end of time. You know, this, the same. Right, right. And, 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 and you know what? Mm-hmm. I hope they're right. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. Jesus could come back before the podcast is over and I'd be happy. But I actually someday I want to uh, I want to write an article on why Jesus must return in the 14th century. You're premillennial. I am so premillennial. It had to have happened in the 14th century. Yeah. So um, so in any event, though. So um, they ask the theologians at the University of Paris what's going on. Okay, so we and, got, we're bringing in the intelligentsia. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and, and the, re- the, the theologians might seem like a weird place to go, but in this period, <laughs> they thought of what we call science, that is, of the natural world, was considered a branch of theology mm-hmm. because God created the world. Therefore, studying the world reveals the mind of God. Therefore, it's theological. I think we need to get back to that. Yeah, yeah there's, there, there's a lot to be said there for that. But the theologians at the University of Paris came up with what I think is a really interesting explanation. It was utterly wrong, but the way they went about answering the question I think is really intriguing. What they said is, well, yes, God is responsible because God created the universe and is sovereign over it, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean he did it directly. It doesn't mean it's a direct act of God aimed at us. Uh, In fact... What we're seeing here is God, it, well, secondary causation. Right. It is not actually an act of God. It is a, a product of the natural processes that God set in motion when he created the universe. Mm-hmm. And specifically, now this is going to wear, be where it sounds weird, but what they do is they work out of Greek medicine. Ancient Greek medicine was the best that they had. Right. It, all their medical theory came from ancient Greece. Right. And in Greek medicine, astrology is really important. Now, the church banned astrology for fortune-telling, but it could be used for other things like medicine. Interesting. So <laughs> what they said is... Now, now we've got to stop here and sort of help people understand, because we all have been brought up with Carl Sagan mm-hmm. and Cosmos, and we know that billions and billions of you, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and at this time, 
we're thinking about a geocentric world. Right. We're thinking about the music of the spheres. Right. We're thinking about sort of the interconnection of everything. Right. So this is not just... Uh, there, is, there is an ordering that, that is mimicked down to the minute that matches the right, cosmic. microcosmic and macrocosmic. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the universe, this is slightly later thinking, but it's, I think it's consonant with what you see in, in the Middle Ages. Um, the, the universe is governed by a series of natural but occult, there by the word that means hidden, Right. occult hidden forces that exist within the universe that allow th uh, things like natural magic and stuff like that. And the right. astrology is part of this. The stars do affect this world right. so, in their mindset. Oh, yeah. Well, we have now, evidence of that in Scripture, of course, with the sure. Magi and so forth. Right. So, yeah. so you can't, you, you, when I'm talking about astrology here, don't think, you know, yeah, fortune-telling. Yeah. You see, and that's why I think we have to kind of stop here and say you, you already brought up the fact that the best science they had with stuff that they had, they'd inherited from ancient Greece. That's right, and medicine. So the, the you know the the you know Bacon and, and the you know people who were talking about exp the experimental or exp yeah, three hundred years later. That's right. So this is the this is like these guys, this this is like the guys from Harvard to come in the room and say, let's give you the you know the authoritative interpretation of what's going right. on. It's in other words, this is not a, just a bunch of of. Uh, you know, crazy people that yeah, you go the, to, you these, know, get tarot cards and stuff. These are, these are the most expert theologians, most highly trained people in Europe. Right. And they're dealing with, you know, when you think about how, how do, you know, when you are limited to your natural faculties, you know, what, how do things appear? Mm -hmm. They don't have telescopes. They don't have microscopes. They don't have the... the the, 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 the sorts of things that we take for granted. And they believe that the universe existed as an integrated whole. Yes. Therefore, when things happen in one spot, it can have a ripple effect in other places. Well, we're, we're rediscovering that, you mm -hmm. know, when we think about chaos theory and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Sure. So what, what they said was happening was there was a, an astrological conjunction between the planets Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars. Okay. They had all come together. A conjunction is when... Uh, the planets or whatever appear close to each other in the heavens. And Jupiter, as the brightest of the planets and the king planet, right. uh, is considered a magnifier of the effects of the other planets. For Saturn, would be sort of kind of like the end, sort of like, uh, well, death? Would... Saturn, Saturn is always associated with negative influences. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what I thought. And when you add Mars into that, oh, Mars war, is, is, yeah. is war or blood or death. Right. What's happening, it says, <laughs> is that these, this conjunction of planets is causing a poisonous fume, a vapor, a, a miasma, to rise up out of the Earth, and that's what's causing the plague. Interesting. In other words, it's an entirely natural event. But you see the thing Ultimately is, with God behind it, but it wasn't a direct right, act. Right, right. Yeah, but, but that, that, that whole thing is fascinating because in their time this is like cutting edge science yeah well that's right and for those who think that we're too far removed for those uh, who remember night of the living dead the story was along those lines wasn't it <laughs> yeah yeah the zombie and all of but, this but, but i guess my, my thought is yeah. though is that you don't know what you don't know and you don't know what you don't know you don't know yeah <laughs> right. what, what they did what they did know that we don't know <laughs> a few things right, um, right. one would be down their reflection on metaphysics which i th still think they're a million miles ahead of us on that level. Yeah, right. One would be that, that evil, first and foremost, was understood properly not as being, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it is the, it's the, it's, it's, well, let's think of it in terms, let's use scriptural language in, on one particular. When, when Adam and Eve sin, death, okay, we have death enter the picture. Right. Death is the, 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 the opposite of life. Um, it, and so in, in the cross, what do we have? Jesus, as John Owen put it, the death of death in the death of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. In Christ's life giving, death is put to death. So, so um, privation, mm-hmm. um, as Augustine and Difference would talk about um, evil and, and death and everything that comes with it would be contingent on that which is, but is, doesn't have being itself. So right. its being completely lives off of being. In other words, yeah, it doesn't it, really have being it, in it, that it, sense. It's lack of being <laughs> rather being. than actual Th- being. Th- that's right. And so all of these kinds of things would in one sense, even though God is the causal ground of all reality and the sustaining cause and also the final cause directing all things, Theologians would never have attributed that to God because God is being itself. Right. So, so God would not be responsible in, in any kind of um, direct, sense. direct sense in a governing and a creative purposes. Um, but that's, that, that's also directed by the fact that these things would still be under God's sovereign control and... In accord with achieving his final purposes for things. Yeah. No, no. When we think about sovereignty, though, this is one of the things that the modern mind, I yeah. think, has a hard time sort of relating to because we we immediately go to mechanistic sort of mm-hmm. ways of thinking about causation. Yeah. So when we think about you know sovereignty mm-hmm. and we think about plague, yeah, we think about God flipping a switch and then yeah. there's a series of switches that bring about plague. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. But. But what we're, what we're, or from the far side, the smite button. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but in, 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 in earlier ways of thinking, or, or, or more biblically informed, or you know, actually people who lived during the time that the Bible, the events in the Bible are recorded, you know, they, they didn't think about it in those terms. They, they thought they didn't think mechanistically. Yeah. They didn't think about causation in those ways. Mm-hmm. They thought about causation in the sense of a, a king. Mm-hmm. Governing a realm, yeah, and th- with his wisdom, ordering it. Now every king has to deal with subterfuge mm-hmm. and with uh, you know conditions on the ground and and these sorts of things. So a king is still sovereign even when he has rebellious that's you right. know uh, you know aristocrats who are, yeah, yeah. and that's essentially what we have with scripture. Yeah. You know, the description of you know we have. You know, uh, principalities and powers, who are you could think of sort of regional governors, who are not doing their job. That's right. And so, you know, Christ comes down to inspect the situation on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and his, you guys yeah. are misgoverning yeah. this place. What, what what's uh, what's really remarkable though, is once again this idea of secondary causes that they are looking for a natural explanation you know we hear all the time about how advanced the muslim world is that was true a century or two before this back when they were aristotelians back when they were aristotelians they had greek medicine before the rest of europe did but but that's why they were advanced by this point things have changed they become fundamentalists yeah yes but keep in mind that the reason why the church could go in the direction of that there's a host of reasons why, but one is they did have properly in place 
an understanding of God as pure act, being itself, I amness. You know, mm-hmm. God's, God's yeah. name and God's, the metaphysic go together. God's reality and God's name, I am, right? Mm-hmm. The, the pure I amness of God, being itself. So they also understood that if this was in any sense of the word, not of life, but of death, evil in a natural sense, not in a, a, a not in necessarily a moral sense, then a natural explanation is better put as a creaturely explanation, and therefore it has to be secondary causes. Right. It cannot be that which was, was, is, is from the primary cause. Now, the primary cause sustains the secondary, but it's the secondary that initiates. Um, initiates. I'm all set. Yeah. Now, so, one but, now, but you know, what, what comes to my mind at this point is you know, when Jesus is with his disciples in John's mm-hmm. Gospel, yeah. And, you know, they come across the man who's been blind from birth. Mm-hmm. And the question is, is, you know, did this man sin or did you know, yeah. his father sin or whatever? And then, you know, the Lord's response is neither. Yeah. You know, so we have biblical, uh, you know, um, material to work with, yeah. which pre- pre- present us, presents us with the, the fact that that something can happen for another reason. Yeah. Than simply God smiting the smite right. button. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Now, in contrast, Islam in right. this period <laughs> they have the smite button. They have the smite button <laughs> because what what they the Al Ghazali and other Muslim thinkers at this point they become fundamentalists. They say mm-hmm. basically, look, in the Quran it says that when an epidemic breaks out, when disease comes, Allah determines who gets ill, Allah determines who dies, and who lives. They have no room for secondary causation. They have no room. Allah directly causes everything that happens. Um, Omnicausality is. And this is why they're still. This is this is you know there's there's a uh, you know a a number of things that have been written that deal with this problem in the Muslim world. This sort of anti-intellectual sort of uh, tradition that can't deal with natural causation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It, it actually gets worse. In, in, in Spain during this period, there were physicians, um, I've got the names here, and I'm going to probably butcher them, but what the heck. Mm-hmm. Um, Ibn al-Khatib, mm. Muslim physician in Spain, um, began to argue that plague actually spread, that it was contagious. He was promptly charged with apostasy. Mm. He was thrown mm. in prison, a mm. mob broke into prison and lynched him. Wow. So it wasn't wasn't good enough that they had they had. Mm. Well, we don't know. Ent- I, I don't know entirely what the cause is, but he was definitely lynched for un-Islamic thought. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, that was in 1374. So this is wow. 30 years after the Black Death. There's another one that I really like. That his name is Ibn Khatima. <laughs> uh, Ibn Khatima got around the prohibition of arguing that plague was contagious by saying, "Well." Before we got the glorious Quran, Muslims, Arabs believed that disease in contagion, and this is how they dealt with it. But of course, we know better today with the Quran. So he snuck this stuff in the back door. <laughs> they had to do things like that. Yeah, yeah, in right. Europe, they they come up with this idea, however fanciful it is by our standards, they come up with this idea of secondary causation, and you know what? It gives them a program of action. Right. Because, you know, they, they start improving public sanitation because they say, you know what, things that smell bad are probably unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So you get this massive improvement yeah, in public yeah, sanitation. Air, right. you, 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 my favorite example is you get this um, 
you, you get the idea that in order to sweeten or purify the air, you, you can use flowers, herbs, and things like that. Mm-hmm. 300 years later, this emerges as the plague doctor outfits. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys who are covered from head to foot and have these masks with long beaks. Those beaks are stuffed with flowers and things like that oh, wow. to sweeten the air. They're still thinking this 300 years later. Wow. And individuals who weren't doctors, even early on in the 14th century, used to carry flowers or herbs or something like that on their shoulder so that as they, if they passed something that smelled bad or someone who was sick, they'd stick their nose in it. It's called a nosegay. They'd yeah, stick their right, nose right. in it to breathe the sweetened air. Wow. And that ultimately is the origin of the corsage. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that every young man... <laughs> so, so, so next time you're Just at a prom or a wedding, <laughs> I want you thinking of plague. <laughs> Now, now, this brings to mind uh, Ring Around the Rosie. Ah, I wish. <laughs> because people talk about it that yeah. way. You, you know, it real, the, the idea of little children holding hands and dancing in a circle, singing about plague, really appeals to me. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately... You heard it here on the Theology Podcast. The but, Reverend Dr. Glenn Sunshine. <laughs> but unfortunately, I don't think that's really the origin. I've heard that too. Right? And the reason is because... Our earliest recorded version of Ring Around the Rosie dates to the 19th century. This is yeah. way too late for play. Yeah, talk it could about be, ringing it, on our parade. It could be another disease <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I wish it were true. I, I just, I sincerely yeah, wish it were true. the thing about you historians, you always ground us in reality. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? It's a vice. Um, well, this so, is fascinating stuff. But now, let, let's think a little bit about the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And oh, what, one more quick note. Sure. Our, our word quarantine yep. comes from the Venetian Italian quarantia, meaning 40. Because due to plague, they kept ships at dock for 40 days mm-hmm. to make sure there wasn't plague on board. Unfortunately, fleas can live 60 days without a host, but they didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. they chose 40 for obvious reasons. Right. right. Yeah, and that's where we got the word quarantine from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. So we've plumbed the uh, sort of the uh, the depths here a little bit. <laughs> uh, skimmed the surface actually, but we won't we won't get into that. Okay. <laughs> but but you know when we think about when we think about attribution, when we think about you know, how do we understand what's going on around us? Um, one of the things, of course, that I think is a uh, kind of a uh, non-starter for some people, but for ancient people was where they went to first. When something bad happened, people asked, what's God mad about? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that's the last thing we talk about today. Or they went on pilgrimage to a holy site yeah. in the hope that the saint would and, protect them. And interestingly, there was, I think, what gets stirred in this, and I don't think there is a mistake here, because I think we have this now as any time. We'll see this as we see the fruit of the coronavirus is what this does is pushes you up against your finitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the realization that you're not sovereign, that we're not lord over our own life, that we, what this reveals is contingency mm-hmm. um, in the fullest of, in sense of the word, and that there is a sense in which we recognize our absolute dependence for our health, safety, and everything else we have on that which um, that we're not lord over. Right. But you see, this is the thing that uh, that I'm, you know, as a pastor, yeah. people expect me to, to provide some interpretation yeah. to what goes on in the world, yeah. and 
you know, that's a pretty sophisticated, yeah. you know, way of, of interpreting, mm-hmm. you know, natural phenomena, mm-hmm. uh, you know, essentially what you're saying is that this, this confronts us with the inevitability of our death. Yeah, yeah. So I agree with that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, often people want to rush right to mm-hmm. the source. They want to say God is, is, you know, judging us. But now let's think about this. How can God get our attention without that kind of thing? So it, in, in the back of my mind, I, I was in the Northridge earthquake, and I think it was 1994. I think that's when it was, or 92. I can't remember which, which year it was. I was in California. I was in Los Angeles. But it was like, I can't remember how strong the quake was, uh, but I knew that it was pretty, pretty significant because everybody in California was freaked out yeah. by it. And, you know, people on the news that morning were, quit, their voices were, were shaky. And so I, you know, here I am, and I'm, I'm an outsider. I'm from New England. I'm, I just happened to be there, and hmm. uh, I, I went through it. But as I was flying out, I flew out that morning, right after the quake, I was flying out. And the thought that occurred to me is that if, if something like this can't get our attention, in other words, if we run, if sort of we say, oh, it's just tectonic plate, you know, plates, you know, what does God do to get our attention? If, if, so this is the problem with secondary causation. So secondary causation is good in one sense, but in another sense it has a you know, kind of a buffering effect. Mm-hmm. So we don't attribute things to God's judgment. Mm-hmm. We just say, well, that's just you know the way tectonic plates work, or that's just the yeah. way plague works. We don't think about what is God saying to us there anymore. There isn't anything meaningful. Right. In, in the theological, spiritual sense tied to it. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think this was not what happened with the earlier theologians. Mm-hmm. They, un- they didn't understand, they didn't, they were not saying that this was not related to final purposes because they would have understood mm-hmm. it tied to, they, they had a strong understanding of what we, in theologians call final causality. And that meant every, every secondary cause is being formed towards God's purposes and, and ends, and that will include judgment, it will include all of these things that bring about, you know, think of the, the story of Joseph and his brothers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a classic, that's a classic case story, sure. in which what my brothers meant for evil, God meant for good, and, and he ends up being exalted, placed here, ends up the dream coming true, and ends up right. actually helping out later. So right. you have all this series of things that are happening on the level of secondary causality. The brothers are doing this. And you could just interpret it. It's, see, second, natural explanation, or that's why I moved it to creaturely explanation mm-hmm. rather than natural sure. explanation, is because creaturely um, explanation deals with the way in which there is something brought into it that would not be attributed to God, like death and the, the consequence. The, the, the death producing consequences that would always be a part of god's judgment because death is a part of god's sure, judgment sure, right. and so you cannot take secondary causes and the natural and rid them of the theological on that level um you know there's oftentimes you could look at it from the other angle why are things so well preserved if we are su- under such judgment sure, sure. so in a weird way there is a holding a pulling back going on in this situation yeah, and that know, like the question that you know why do bad things happen to good people yeah. is 
countered yeah. by why do good things happen to bad people? That's right, and and mm. th- yeah, that's that's exactly. Oh, I, I like R.C. Sproul's answer. <laughs> it only happened once, and he volunteered. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, that, right. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Who is good? You know, yeah, so that's right. 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 That's right. But I, I, I think that that um, the answer they were supplying the earlier theologians was not naturalistic. It was cre- it was dealing with the level of creaturely causes under the 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 full causal picture of mm-hmm. God's sure. um, providence and also God's final purposes. But you see, but you see, the thing that I, that's a challenge for a lot of folks. Yeah, you know, you and I and Glenn, you know, we we've had a lot of uh, training in hmm. sort of suspending judgment, mm-hmm. sort of thinking through sort of yeah. a chain of causes. Yeah. Most people can't do that. That's right. Most most people. They 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 want the immediate. Yeah. Uh, in, other, in other words, without the mediation, they they can't yeah. think through a set of sort yeah. of chain of chain yeah. of medi- mediation. They, they 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 assume that A equals B. There's mm-hmm. there's no formula that has A plus B plus C plus D plus. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. And, but the other part of it is that you have what we could call maybe the Sigmund Freud problem. Um, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, how do you know right, what right. is an act of God and what isn't? So mm-hmm. the assumption is, once you ask that question, you say you can't know. Therefore, none of them are acts of God. Well, yeah, you can take it too far the other direction. Right. And then you also are dealing with we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but spirit and principalities. And and so and then there's the t- the extremes. There is everything spiritual. <laughs> Is there actually also this level of causality that is is working here? And it is the way these all interplay that is the complicated thing we as Christians have to somehow unpack. Um, it, it, it's, I mean, it is as people formed by naturalism. It's easy to to explain and leave all explanation at the naturalistic level and right. think, okay, we're satisfied now. Right. And so, I, yeah. My, my favorite example of this recently is when the Lutheran Church was voting in favor of same-sex clergy. Just before the vote, the meeting place where they were going to have the vote was hit by a tornado. And they were unable to see it. They, they laughed at it as yeah. this idea that this might have anything to do with divine judgment. Right, right. Yeah. But you see, that's or my problem. How, how, do we get, how does God get the message across to us now? You know, now, here's the sad part of it. When you look at the 14th century... Initially, it's sort of like 9-11. Initially, you get this, this response where people are taking the religious dimensions seriously and trying to think it through and so on. But pretty soon, it just becomes the new normal. Yeah, right. And what you see is a marked decline in the clergy, partly mm-hmm. because they had to reduce the qualifications in order to replenish their ranks, yeah. which are needed in order to mar- mm-hmm. baptize, marry, bless fields, and everything sure, else. Sure. And that, in turn, by the way, is going to contribute to the Reformation. Right. Um, th- there's a certain amount of dispute over that, but I think it's, it's an unavoidable conclusion. So in other words, you have a bunch of incompetence. You right, get a bunch of incompetence, and you get a bunch of people who start joining the clergy just because it's a cushy lifestyle. That's right, right. And the net They're result, looking for people. Right. Yeah. And, and when you go into the 15th century, there have always been anti-clerical jokes. But it becomes sort of the norm in the 15th century. Mm-hmm. You know, just like we've got lawyer jokes or blonde jokes, they had clerical right. jokes. Right. And if I said, <laughs> you know, there was a monk, you knew it was going to be a joke about over, somebody drinking too much. Right. As a matter of fact, the expression, he drinks like a monk, was a standard, <laughs> standard line. Isn't that so, in other um, words, Belgian brewers, you know. <laughs> yep. Uh, or um, 
if I said there was a nun or there was a priest, chances are it was going to be a joke about sex. Yeah. Right, I mean, right. you know, this was this was the reputation of the clergy at this point. It had sunk to the level that, well, you know, they recognized that if you were a faithful cleric, that was a good thing. But the, the but overall, they had this really negative view of them. Right, right. Or if you're in a nunnery and you have a king come by, it's best to keep the door locked. <laughs> I remember that in England, in Oxford, England, there's this little old, it's abandoned now, it's just the ruins, um, but the story there is that I think it was Henry VIII uh, taking horseback through there, and one of the nuns is, nun, is known to have had child for yeah, right. Henry. Anyway, I don't know how I got well, it. No, I mean, there are a lot of things yeah. going on, obviously, during that time that are but, uh, but scandalous. Again, right? then the, the sad thing is how fast they lose this sense of you know, of, you know, maybe this is divine judgment. Maybe God is doing something here. Maybe some, God is trying to tell us something. Mm-hmm. Overall, that lasted a very short period of time because it became the new normal. Right. Just like after 9-11, the churches are full for a month, and then they start right. I remember that. declining. Sure. sure. Now, getting back to the, to the Muslims, you know, I, we were kind of uh, mm. critical of, you know, what was going on in, say, Spain or elsewhere. Maybe there was a sense. Maybe that was. Maybe that's what they were nervous about. Maybe the, the introduction of secondary causation. I, I think secondary causation is real. So I'm not like calling mm-hmm. into sure. it, calling into question. <clears throat> but maybe that's the problem that we find with fundamentalists. Is is they're nervous because they they kind of know at a gut level that when you separate cause and effect and you inter, introduce a series of intermediate steps, Mm -hmm. people lose sight Mm -hmm. of the ultimate cause. Yeah, they actually, the argument that they they presented was that if you talk about natural law, for example, in science, natural law would limit Allah's radical freedom. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to limit his freedom. And and I've run into that in reform circles. Well, Mm -hmm. do you know what? Interestingly, the, the reformed who follow the nominalism, which a lot do, and which that's not the kind of reformed I am. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not Christian. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll argue it's not. Comes from Islam. That's right. Even even Gillespie. So these people work, who say they're biblicists are actually influenced by Islam. That's right, because it was the one who introduced the seedbed, and Glenn had hit on that in other episodes. It laid the groundwork for. And remember, the debates going on were between Aquinas trying to broaden things out. Um, and the, the different Avicenna and, mm-hmm. and Averroes, Averroes right. and then Maimonides, and right. it was actually Aquinas. So we've got to talk about two Muslims and a Jew. That's right. And a, and, Walked into and, a bar. No, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and Aquinas no, the showed Muslims up. Aren't good, the Muslims Aquinas aren't showed up, and he bar. was the bartender. I was walking. I think I was either, I was either downtown Boston or I was in New York City, that's and great. I was I was I was walking behind a couple of Hasidic Jews, and they were talking about. The greatest theologian when it when it comes to the essence of God, hmm. who did they say the greatest theologian was? It's going to be Aquinas. Aquinas. Yeah. 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 <laughs> isn't that a They are very well educated, and they, <laughs> yeah. they know their stuff. Yeah, yeah, right, they right. know their Aquinas better than most uh, reformed people. people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing. I'm fine. I I'm think fine. we're good for now. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're, get, we're getting to that point in the show. We've said a number of things here that I'm sure have blown the minds of some folks here, particularly in the last 10 minutes. But is there anything that uh, you want to say as we conclude here, Tom? 
Uh, it's a, there's a lot, like most episodes, I'd, you know, I'd like to unpack and go back to at some point. Um, I, I mean, I think one of the things that I think... Oh, I'm always happy to do Plague again. Yeah, we can, we can do Plague Part 2. <laughs> Bring the part Plague three. back. Yeah, that's right. The Plague series. Uh, but uh, I think one of the things that really comes to the fore is that um, we're not so removed from what's going on there, even in our explanations and understandings. And they don't have to become reductionistic. Mm-hmm. You can you can deal with certain things as we do that understand there is there is a level for example that is the kind of the natural level it's never only natural but it is its own realm of being mm-hmm. and because of that it does have certain interlocking connections but I would argue that 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 is never sort of blanket naturalism and so mm-hmm. therefore these other things are always going on and so how we read and interpret the message is not always easy discernment and wisdom is 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 something that we're always dependent on but it's like anything when we we know because we still sit under the already and not yet that all of us are going to to encounter death at some point right disease illness these natural things that have been brought into the world with adam that although death has been put to death in christ for the believer Nevertheless, there is a transitioning point from this to the next. So we encounter that in a lot of the stuff that comes with it. So that itself still shows we sit under the consequences of the first Adam until the fulfillment of all things, though under a changed situation. Because of that, then these things shouldn't be a surprise, but they do still have theological import, whether it's on the level of a plague or down to the level of me just getting sick and dying. And it should always draw me back to the source of all things and what that my communion with God has to teach me through that which I'm to undergo, whether it's just me, the body of Christ, or the body of humanity as a whole. I think all of these things aren't disconnected, even if we can locate the, arri- the arriving of it from a flea. <laughs> right, right, you know, right. You know, uh, somebody posted something on Facebook the other day who said something to the effect of, prayers for healing always fail. Lazarus died again. And my response was, no, I think you got it exactly wrong. Prayers for healing always work, if not in this world, then in the resurrection. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And that, that's the thing we forget, I think, right, a lot right. of times. Yeah, Is there anything something. you want to say on this theme of the plague that just so warms your heart? Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'd like to finish my part with one quote that I didn't give. <laughs> All right. This is from an Irishman by the name of John Clinn. He was a Franciscan, hmm. did a fabulous chronicle of Ireland. We know a lot of the ins and outs of family politics in Ireland during this period because of Clinn. Hmm. However, his chronicle ended in the year 1349. And it ended with these words. This okay, is, so this guy got the plague? Well, this is what he had to say. <laughs> okay. So that notable deeds should not perish with time and be lost from the memory of future generations. I, seeing these many ills and that the whole world encompassed by evil, waiting among the dead for death to come, have committed to writing what I have truly heard and examined. And so that the writing does not perish with the writer or the work fail with the workman, I leave parchment for continuing the work in case anyone should still be alive in the future and any son of Adam can escape this pestilence and continue the work thus begun. In another hand, after this, in the manuscript, it says, here it appears the author died. Hmm. Um, I'm tempted to just simply end with 
well, we've got more space for the recording, so if anyone wants to finish it, go ahead. <laughs> but but <clears throat> what we have to remember in the midst of all of this is that even at its worst, something like corona has got a 1% to 2% mortality rate. Yeah, I mean, how many people have died from the virus, a couple right. thousand maybe? Yeah. And at, at this point? Well, that's, the, we know the China figures from China are wrong. but <laughs> That goes without saying. Yeah, it goes without saying. So we, we don't really know the numbers. Yeah, right, right. But the world has faced much, much worse than anything that we're looking at. We need to send this message to the, the, to the pre-millennialists. Yeah. They, they just really make themselves look stupid on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the world has faced much worse than we're facing now. And we have so many more resources to deal with it than they had. And so I guess, you know, in the midst of all this, you know, I'm, I've got a lot of interest in, in, in the plague, largely because as a historical phenomenon, it is absolutely fascinating, particularly when you look at the impact of it. And there are things that we can get from looking at the impact. But... This, this sort of overwhelming fear and, and mm-hmm. pessimism and, and panic, mm-hmm. uh, or near panic, that, that you see in some quarters is totally uncalled for. Yes. When you take a look at, at what humanity has been through before, we've got to remember the sovereignty of God in all of this. Yeah, if God and, can, can, can bring something good out of that particular episode in our history of the West... And there are a number of things that we can point to that follow this. Absolutely. And he's placed finitude on it. That's a gift for it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's it, right. It has a limit. I'll never forget, you know, I know we need to wrap up, but I'll never forget years ago in my anthropology class at a very positivistic, atheistic university. And Ed Knight, Professor Ed Knight, was teaching the class during the AIDS crisis, and all the students were politically sensitive to that issue. Right, right. And he said, it's going to rise up. It's going to fall very quick. And they all got irate and angry. Right, right, right. But he understood the nature of... It just goes of... to show how stupid students are. <laughs> that's, that's right. They're still stupid. <laughs> They're still stupid. But it was interesting. Someone who didn't believe anything or anything else understood right. finitude. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Anyway, I don't know if I, I... I really don't have anything else to add. This has been a fun show. Thanks for bringing it up, Glenn. Thanks for bringing the plush doll. Yeah. You know, we've got it here. We've got a picture of it. Maybe. He's a cute little guy. Yeah. This guy responsible for killing people? No, uh, yeah. I can't believe it. <laughs> Well, you should see the picture I used of Siberian marmots. You talk about cute. But, uh, yeah, they are the plague nexus. So. You might have to do a uh, T-shirt series with the plague. Yeah, we've got to do a T-shirt yeah. with the plague. Yeah. With a little plush plague. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for listening to the Theology Podcast. We appreciate your, uh, your interest. Hey, we want you to know about a couple of things. It just occurs to me as we wrap up. There is now a, an app that uh, you can download to your phone that will allow you to get access to our show as well as other shows and even back, you know, even shows in the past. It's uh, the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network app. You can go to, if you've got the iPhone, I think it's, I know it's an iPhone. I don't know if it's on Android yet. But if you go to, to your app, you know, program on your phone and just type in Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, you'll see it. We want you to, to download that because we're team players. You know, we, we are glad that Cross Politic and uh, the other shows that are uh, in the network, uh, are, you know, are there for us to, to connect with. And uh, we just think that it's great 
that these folks have uh, gone to the lengths that they have to make this app available. And it's just one more, you know, sort of a measure that, uh, that we've availed ourselves of, that particularly the cross-politic folks have availed themselves of, to control the, the platform. You know, we hear all the time about pl- people being de-platformed, <laughs> you know, disinvited, whatever, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, taken off Facebook, or wh- you, know, you know what I'm talking about. What we need to have is we need to have more control over the means by which we get what we're saying to you. This is our Marxist side, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, and, and it is available on Android. I just oh, checked. good, you just checked. Okay, so it's available on Android. And we, we really encourage you to download that app. It's, a, it's a free, and uh, it'll help you get access to us uh, right away. Anyway, uh, please do that. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Now.